Well, good morning, New Cove. Good to see you this morning. And those of you watching from home or wherever you may be, it's good to see you also. And uh, although I can't see you, you can see me. So uh, that's how it works. So several weeks ago, uh, they introduced the speaking team, and we have Troy, right? And then we have Brent with an N, and then we have Brett with one T right over here. And then as they uh, introduced everybody, they said Brett with two T's, which is true, but it's a little disturbing because on the slide, everybody's name was at the bottom, and on my slide, the name was across my forehead. (laughs) And I thought, have I lost it so much that I wear my name tag on my forehead? As my first thought. I was relieved to know that it was actually a graphic area error. And um, then they went on and they said, he's our founding pastor and we call him Big Brett. And I thought, how did they know? How did they know? Because when I was in the fifth grade in Washington grade school in Norman, Oklahoma, I was on the football team. And my name on the football team was Big Brett. So good for you doing research, whoever did that. And, and I remember on that football team, in the fifth grade, we won the city championship. And uh, I have a lot of good memories. I played the wildcat position on offense. And I would stand. I had three plays. Big Brett to the right, Big Brett to the left, and Big Brett up the middle. And I don't have a lot of memories of that. My, my dad told me with great laughter that one time Big Brett went up the middle and he carried a guy on each leg and drug them into the end zone with him. <laughs> and so I'll take the Big Brett any day and just uh, rejoice in that. But it's great to be with you and to be able to open God's word to you. And I know you didn't come here to hear my funny stories if you had, I'd have charged the door, you know, you'd have to pay $5 to get in. But we're here to hear the word of God and hear maybe something that God would say to you, each one personally today, about your life and how things are going with you. And to that end, I want us to pray. Lord, uh, Brett, with one T, said during the... Uh, prayers he read the word about how the Holy Spirit is working in each of us and bringing us into a face-to-face relationship with you and Holy Spirit we just invite you to come right now and through the words that I might share through the word that's in your word that you would speak to us that you would guide us, you would direct us, you would correct us, you would encourage us. The Lord, our life would be your life, not I, but Christ who lives in me. We thank you that we can gather freely here together and worship you today, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I think we all know that a terrible disease was released on humanity In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve made a choice and they were separated from God. And that separation is just 
more and more clear the longer the world goes on. We are in conflict and division. There's all kinds of disease. And personally, everyone in this room has losses. And we all have excesses in some way and disappointments. We've all made really bad decisions. But I think the thing I want to point to this morning is the deep loneliness that we experience in our heart, even in a crowd, a deep loneliness, a longing to, to be known and to know others. And like all people of all ages, we have found ways to comfort ourselves, ways to make that pain of loneliness be soothed and medicated. Maybe it's through food and drink, or maybe it's work, Maybe it's success or money. Maybe we ease the pain with our family, with activities, with sports, with various addictions or entertainment. But like all people of all time, we've, we've worked to loosen that pain and to, to deal with that pain of loneliness because it haunts humanity since everyone was separated from God. For some of us, loneliness is a theme that goes back way into our childhood. For others, it it happens abruptly through the death of a loved one or a broken relationship or a divorce. And the truth is that God did not want us to experience loneliness. It was not his will. It's the consequence of living in a broken world. And I just want to say that neither loneliness or depression or anxiety or sins, they can lead to sin. They're the consequence of living in a broken world. And I, would, I just want to say, and someone here needs to hear this, that if loneliness, anxiety, depression has become life-dominating for you, you need to seek help. You need to talk to someone. You need to find a way to deal with that to where you can continue to live and move forward. And as we look at Philippians today, we find the Apostle Paul is in prison. He's been there two years. It wasn't a prison in isolation. It was a house arrest, finally, we find out at the end of the book of Acts. People were coming and going. But he was still limited And 11 times in the book of Philippians, we find the word joy and rejoice in the book of Philippians. In prison, yet overflowing with joy. We don't find him expressing loneliness. What was his antidote as someone who was alone in prison? What what might be the clues to his antidote for loneliness that we find in the book of Philippians that that led him to be someone filled with joy instead of loneliness. And there's one word that I have come up with that I think encapsulates the, the antidote that he had, and it's the word connection. Connection. He was disconnected from his comfort, his freedom, doing what he wanted to do, And yet he was filled with joy. And we're going to look at two clues as to why connection enabled him to be joyful. 
and hopefully to consider in our own lives how are we connecting? Could our lack of connection and isolation be contributing to our loneliness? And if so, then what what intentional steps could we take in order to better connect? So the first passage I want us to look at is, and the first clue, I think, is found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And this is in the Amplified Bible. And what the Amplified Bible did, in case you were curious, it took the Greek words and it took all the various meanings of the Greek words. The Greek language was just amazing in its ability to communicate much, much more deeply than the English. And I think that's why the New Testament was written in Greek, because there's a depth to it that you don't find in English and a specificity to it that's not possible in the English language. And so the translator, in translating this passage, he kind of expanded, not out of his imagination, but out of the meaning of the Greek words. So the translator said, and this so that I may know him experientially, becoming more acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely, that I may know him. And in the same way, experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows in his active and believers. So I may know him, may know his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to his death, dying as he did. As I read this passage, I understand that in this prison, Paul was definitely connecting with God. He was connecting experientially. And, and I wonder, are we... Are we Connecting experientially with God or just intellectually? Has, has our knowledge of God become something we actually experience day by day? It makes a difference today because I know God? Or is it just something that I understand and tell the Bible stories and all the moral things we're supposed to do or not do in our head? Rather than a true inner experience of God. And he says he, he experienced the resurrection. <laughs> I don't know about you, but some days I wake up and I think, I don't know what happened, but something died in here overnight. And I, it's like, oh my gosh. And, you know, we have a couple of choices. We can either ignore it, we can uh, stumble through the day, or we can acknowledge it and say, Jesus, I... I'm feeling death in me. I need your resurrection today. Lord, if you don't come through and do something for me today, it's going to be a bad day and something bad's going to happen. And so, Lord, I, I ask you for today to give me your resurrection power that I would know you deep in my heart. And then he says that he wants to fellowship with Christ's sufferings. Ah, don't we wish that life would have no suffering? Everyone in this room has suffered in some way and is suffering in some way. 
And have we invited Jesus into our sufferings? Have we said, Lord, just bring me to the point where I can live in you even through the suffering that I'm going through? You see, this kind of connection with Christ that Paul had and that's available to us with Christ today is not easy. We let our negative, unjust circumstances drive us from God rather than pushing us toward God. Paul knew that God was loving, forgiving, and just. He knew from chapter 3 that he was not in prison or going through difficulty because of his previous way of life and his sins. His relationship with God was not eclipsed by the why God questions that we all find ourselves asking. And we know it's a cul-de-sac. It's easy to get stuck in the why God thing. He didn't allow his imprisonment to tear him away from God. He allowed it to push him into God. So my first clue is that he was connected with God. And that's where his joy came from. That's, that's how he could take loneliness and see it sort of move out of the center stage of his life. Because he had something on the big stage which was knowing God, experiencing God, the power of the resurrection. And allowing the sufferings that he goes through in life to conform him to be more and more like Jesus. My second clue comes from this. We know when we look at the history of how these books of the New Testament were written that he wrote Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians during his imprisonment. You know, when you study those four books that he wrote while he was in prison, there's some clues as to why maybe he had joy. The internal evidence in these four letters that he wrote over two years indicate he wasn't just alone praying and meditating, although we know he was, but that he mentions ten people. He mentions Luke, Timothy, Epaphras, Onesimus, Tychicus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Justus, and Epaphroditus. That those people were interacting with his life even while he was in prison. And we don't know how long each of them were with him, but we know that he was connected to people, even in the most difficult situation. See, joy comes from connection. And he was also connected to believers, not only in Rome, but also in Philippi. We have the story of his time in Philippi in Acts chapter 16 where he talks about how this first church that he planted in Europe, how he met the first person that came to faith, a woman named Lydia, and how there was this jailer who, in a miracle earthquake, cried out, what must I do to be saved? And he and his whole household were baptized. And we know that there's a guy named Epaphroditus who was a member of this church who came to Paul and brought a gift from the Philippian church when he was in prison. He almost died, and Brent talked about that last week. 
We know there are two women, Euodia and Syntyche. I always want to call her Schenectady. Uh, Syntyche, who were at odds with each other. And the Apostle Paul, in the letter, at the end of the letter, he's kind of pleading for these women. Hey, hey, everybody, help them get together. So there's conflict in the church. It wasn't the perfect thing. And a, a man named Clement. And so he was connected to believers in Roman and Philippi. And the verse I want to zero in on this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Where he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. You know, the first thing I notice in this verse is that brothers and sisters, family, family. There's a sense of family in that church. There was a connectedness that it wasn't just sitting in an auditorium looking at the back of someone's head and singing songs. The people were face to face. They knew each other. They were brothers and sisters. They kind of went through life together. They were family. And he says, whom I love and long for. And, you know, we, we want to be a place here in Lincoln, Nebraska, where a place where you are loved and you do love other people. You are known and you do know other people. I love Susan's announcement about the free donuts after the service next week uh, when they have the greet, meet and greet. And that's a place where you can begin to know and be known. And that's the kind of church the Philippians were. And that was Paul's secret to joy. One of the clues we have. And he says, my joy and crown. I think in that prison when Paul was writing this letter to the Philippians and thinking of the people that I mentioned, that his heart began to pump out that joy. It's like, wow, what a life. To be able to know these people, to interact with them, to know their their scars, to know their warts, to know their strengths. To know what they love. Wow. What a privilege. My joy and crown. He was proud of these folks. They were his crown. The first church he started in Europe. It's like, whoo, the first ones. And Paul had them in his heart. And he says, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. They were friends. Wow. Wow. He had great joys, he wrote this letter, because he intentionally connected with the believers in Philippi. I made a list of how he connected intentionally. Um, He shared the gospel with them in Acts chapter 16. He probably visited them two other times. He prayed for them. He sent Timothy to them. He sent Epaphroditus to them. He set an example for them in following Jesus, and he wrote them this letter. He was joyful, not lonely. You see, and and this is what I'm trying to say here, 
You cannot have the joy and happiness in life that God intends for you to have unless you regularly connect with Jesus and believers around you. You just can't have the joy and happiness in life God intends without a connection to Jesus and a connection with other believers. And I guess that's why here at New Cove there are two drums that you'll hear beaten all the time. One is that we need to engage with Jesus daily through the Bible and through praying. That's not a small thing. That is a pathway to joy, to to develop a habit of reading the Bible and praying. And we, we try to give you practical things from time to time to help you with that. And uh, that connection. And the second thing that we beat a drum on is becoming a part of a small group. Uh, where you are known and others can know you on a deeper level. And I think if you connect on those two things, your joy will increase and you will begin to grow. You see, connection requires intentionality. It just doesn't magically happen. You just don't come and sit in this auditorium for one hour of teaching, however good it might be this morning, and uh, say, oh man, the joy's there, I got it all my week. I mean, you walk out of here, you forget everything I said, and I, I forget by Monday. And um, there's got to be intentionality, a, a pathway that you take in your life. You've got to arrange your life and schedule around the things that will bring joy to you. And one of those is your connection to God, and the other is your connection to other people. And it's inconvenient. Can I just say that? It's very inconvenient. There are a lot of things you'd rather do. You'd rather catch up on social media. You'd rather watch the news. Uh, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> but, but there are so many distractions we have that we kind of get caught up in the busyness of our lives. And it's very inconvenient. And yet intentionality says, I'm going to set some things aside that really don't help me. They create more and more loneliness and division and problems in my life and I'm going to set myself towards something that brings me true joy something that really helps me I remember maybe 15 years ago we can't those in our small group can't figure out when we started meeting we're all losing our memories and um, but I remember I had I led a group on campus on Tuesday night and I had a Thursday night group and I would often meet Monday night with students and to put in a Wednesday night group it'd be like what are we going to do work work all day and then work all night is that what I'm called to but we decided Mary and I that we would set aside a time on Wednesday night and we would try to get meet people our own age because we were ministering to college students the whole time and and I thought you know it'd be nice if somebody came to my funeral so uh Maybe I ought to meet the Joneses and the Nelsons and the Nortons and other folks that are in our small group. And um, we began to meet with people who were more our age and who had children and 
who knew kind of what we were going through, but college students didn't know that. Found people who we could connect with. We've been doing that for years, and we love getting together. We, we meet Wednesday nights at the Joneses' home, who sit here on the front row, and I love you guys. And uh, we, we talk about our lives. We talk about stuff that isn't about our lives, just fun stuff to talk about. Uh, we pray together. We do something related to the Bible together. And Cindy's our worship leader. She goes on YouTube and she finds these fabulous worship songs. And John turns up the volume so loud that he can't hear himself sing, nor can anyone else. (laughs) And we have a time of worship and just a great time. And even, I got to tell you, there are Wednesday nights when I drag myself to that group. I'd rather sit home and watch The Amazing Race or Survivor, right? But I drag my, I record it, and I, <laughs> I drag myself to that group, and it never fails that when I walk out, it's like, yeah, I'm glad I came. Because where two or three are gathered in his name, he's there in their midst. And when I look at joy in my life, like where does joy come from? It comes from many different places. But one of the places that I've intentionally made space for, for joy, is our Wednesday night group. We laugh together, we cry together, we eat together. Sometimes we play together. And I'm so grateful for that. And I would long for everyone to make space in your life so that you are intentionally saying, okay, I need more joy. I'm feeling really lonely, isolated, and depressed. I need joy. I need people. I need believers who will love me for exactly the way I am. And that's what I would long for. And I think that's what Paul And Jesus would long for you, each one of you individually. And I want to close with this. You cannot afford to live the Christian life alone. You just can't. You've got to figure a way. And what I would encourage you to do is, if you don't even have any ideas as I'm talking about this, and maybe the Holy Spirit has said something to you about your isolation and that you maybe need to take an intentional step to connect. And if you don't have any ideas on where to begin that, just write the word connection on the card in front of you or at home, write it on whatever space there is online. And somebody will contact you and give you some ideas. Uh, Next Sunday would be a great time to come to the meet and greet. Just be a little intentional. Just say, you know, I'm going to go Meet some people. I really don't know anybody. I'm kind of tired of looking at the back of everybody's head. And I want to know somebody. So we're going to close the service today with, with something that is an amazing connection that Jesus put before us. That for over 2,000 years, people who follow Jesus have connected with him and with one another through what's called the Lord's Supper or Communion. And we're going to be passing the elements here in a moment as the band plays. And 
he took the communion elements of unleavened bread, and unleavened bread is, is uh, I guess, the closest thing I can think to it that's in our society would be like a tortilla. Unleavened bread was really thin, came in pieces, and they would tear it apart. You could tear it like you could tear a tortilla. And that was common, the thing they had at their meals was the unleavened bread. And he took wine, which they had at their meals. And when he took this, he said, he he gave them a symbolic uh, place that has been in our lives for 2,000 years. The symbol of his broken body and his shed blood. His body was broken. He was beaten. He was stretched. He was exposed. And his blood was shed on the cross. It's a gruesome picture. But he went through all that so that you and I would not have to go through that. And as we pass these elements, there are two things I would invite you to think about. And then to offer to Jesus. One is your brokenness. That every one of us are broken. Some are broken by things that have happened to us in life. Others are broken by things we have done in life. But I want to tell you, we all come to the Lord's table broken. Everyone. There's none righteous. No, not one. And then to think about your sinfulness. How you have slipped into a ditch of sin. Maybe you're spinning your tires and you don't know how to get out. But you've fallen into this and that you'd, you would admit that today in your heart to Christ. And as you come to the table, as you take these elements that you would say in your heart, Lord, here's my brokenness. Here's my sinfulness. And hear him say to you, here's my wholeness, my holiness that I give to you. Here's my forgiveness. You are forgiven. So let's prepare to take the the Lord's Supper together.